Hello Brooklyn, how you doing? You where you going? We cannot come to. And if I can, I'ma be your man. You can be my lady and have my baby and drive my car. You got me crazy. What up, Nets fans and Sixers fans? Welcome to the first ever crossover pod experience between the 4th and 26th pod and the artist formerly known as Nets Pulse, soon to be known as Russell and Fro. Uh, we are here to talk the Brooklyn-Philadelphia upcoming round one NBA playoff series. We've got Matt Greeley from the 4th and 26th pod. We've got Carl and Brett from what used to be known as Nets Pulse. And uh, we're excited to get after it. How's everybody doing? Hey, I'm, hey guys, I'm doing well, and uh, thank you for for doing this. This is great. Um, I'm excited. As you're mentioning, uh, you know, just thinking about doing this pod with you guys, I, I'm starting to get, you know, excited slash nervous for the for the series, for the first time, we're, to be honest. Yeah, we're 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 all excitement over here. I think you know, the uh, the net season has been such a such a ride, honestly, that that it's a little bit of a you know playing with house money. Although I will say starting to get those familiar feelings of uh, not just wanting to steal a game or two, but, but really actually wanting to take it to you guys, especially with uh, the, the news of, of, of Embiid's, you know, potentially sitting out a couple games. Yeah. That's the thing that obviously, you know, is on everyone in, in Philly's mind about this series is like, you know, that bombshell basically dropped by Elton Brand. They're like, Oh yeah, he should be back hopefully for the game. Um, you know, for the playoffs, like, I don't think uh, the fans really saw that coming. You know, the Sixers have really played pretty poorly down the stretch here. And it's been like, a, you know, they're resting guys, they're resting Embiid. And that was kind of all we really thought about. It was like, they're just saving Embiid mostly for the playoffs. And, you know, some of the other guys like Redick as well, you know, the old guys, they're resting them. But um, to now f- see that it's possible he'll miss game one or, you know, you know, who knows, like if he's actually healthy enough to, to really be full Embiid. Uh, so yeah, Philly fans are nervous about that because I think that that is, I mean, clearly he's, you know, he's the, the number one player on the, on the Sixers and uh, you know, I don't, nobody really has an answer for him. The Nets or most other teams in the league, you know, besides Boston, they seem to have Embiid's number, but nobody else seems to be able to stop him. So so that's where we're at. We're all just crossing our fingers, hoping Embiid comes back and is a monster like uh, like he usually is. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting as a Nets fan. I think you know you you try to take some comfort in the fact that you know nobody really has an answer for Embiid. But I could tell you, if you it is it's certainly not the Nets. And if you were to rank teams that you know percentage of answers that they have, the Nets are, are probably amongst the lowest. So w- one thing that that I kind of found interesting, and, and there was kind of a big debate amongst Nets Twitter and Nets fans as, you know, we were coming down the stretch and, and it was looking like, you know, we could either get the six or the seven seed in terms of which matchup we wanted. And, and I think the general consensus was that Philly was the matchup we wanted. And I think that that was, you know, despite the fact that I would certainly say that outside of Giannis, I think Embiid is the single biggest factor of, you know, any player uh, in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, despite the fact that I think that I would probably pick Philly over the Raptors in, in a series, but something about the the matchup and something about, you know, looking back at the games they've played this season made me sort of feel like I wanted to play the Sixers. Did you feel that way? Is this, is this a matchup like you have concerns about it on your side? Well, I'll, I'll be as honest. I'll be a hundred percent honest up until, I mean, it, it was, um, it was a matchup that we worried about. Like, you know, in the beginning of the season, you guys had our number, uh, to like an alarming extent, because I think a, I don't think Philly fans knew how, how good the nets actually were. Um, and then B like, they just were one of those teams that just had our number. And it was just really clear. I mean, I went to, uh, the Nets Sixers game in Philly, and we were just like Spencer Dimwitty. What? Who is this guy? Thirty nine points. Like it, it was. We were really caught off guard as as fans, and it and it became clear to us not just with the Nets, but with with a lot of teams. Their, uh, you know, their their guards off the bench would light up our guards, uh, our, our 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 you know second unit, um, and even JJ Redick is not a defender. You know, um, so so the matchup wasn't 
wasn't great in, in a lot of ways. But then when you add Jimmy Butler, I think he answers a lot of the issues. Um, and a lot of the issues that we had with, with the Nets. And then, you know, even Tobias Harris and some of the other guys they brought in, um, you know, like our seventh or sixth and seventh guys on the bench now, like are a little bit better fit just to kind of slow them down a little bit, like Spencer Dinwiddie, um, Levert, you know, obviously Russell, like kind of hope to contain him. Maybe you aren't going to stop him, but um, so, so it was an alarming matchup for us, but then honestly, after the last matchup they had um, and with the, all the additions the Sixers have made it, it, for me, it wasn't any longer. I felt like, yeah, the Nets are, were certainly had our number better than a lot of teams, but I just feel like the Sixers had so much talent and especially with Embiid, like you said, like it's a very bad matchup for, for the Nets when it comes to Embiid. Like there's just, you know, there's no answer for him on that team. And now of course, having said all that, now that the news is that Embiid's hurt, now I'm worried again, if that turns out to be the case. Uh, and, I, and I would be too. I mean, he's the one player that we don't really have an answer for. And the one thing that Nets fans keep bringing up is, hell, JaVel McGee put up 30 and 22 against us. What's Joel Embiid going to do in a playoff series? I think it's very apt that you bring up that first Nets game. And I found it very – Nets 76ers game because I, I found it very interesting that that was the first game that y'all started to realize that the Nets might ha- might be a legit team this season. I, we did a podcast the other night when we were going through moments celebrating the Nets being the sixth seed, celebrating a great season, saying, hey, you know, what are the key moments that stick out to us from the season? And that was one of the ones that I pointed out. Watching that first 76ers game, our lead went to five, went to 10, went to 15. And I'm thinking, wait, the, the, the 76ers are, are, are good, right? What, what, is this the same Nets team that I've been watching for the past four years? And that was one of the first games that made me believe that the Nets could actually make a run at being a solid team and potentially making the playoffs this year. But if you look at these two teams and how they matched up throughout the season, it's very tough to take anything super discernible away in terms of minutia because the teams looked very different in a lot of the games that they played. So we split the season series two and two. We just talked about that first game where the Nets looked not necessarily dominant, but played a really good game. The other games were two of them were very close. One of them being that Jimmy Butler balls to the wall game winner that everybody remembers the step back three that uh, was ill-advised, but looked incredible and became one of the most exciting plays of the season afterwards. So that was a pretty great game. Uh, but if you, if you look at who played in these games and who didn't, one of the Nets wins was pre-Jimmy Butler trade. The other one was pre-Tobias Harris trade. And in two of the games, Karis LeVert, who is uh, arguably our second most important player in this series, what didn't play. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see now that the Nets are supposedly at full strength and the 76ers are hopefully at full strength, have these teams actually match up when we're playing our best players' heavy minutes. And and I will say just one other thing is the one the most recent game, which is probably the closest to kind of full strength lineup wise for both teams, that was at the conclusion of a two week long, you know, all the previous games had been on the West Coast road trip for the Nets, and you know it was, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not taking anything away from from the Sixers because I, I I understand the improvement and I'm not trying to torpedo your your confidence from from that because i think a lot of that's earned and i think that's you know when looking at some of the lineups and stuff like that the sixers especially with harris inserted in there have just really been blitzing the league but i will say from just watching the nets that was that was a at least in part a schedule loss that was not their their finest effort and i think some of the unforced errors and turnovers and you know just general sloppiness that they exhibited. Um, and then in particular, just getting down so much early that, you know, I just, they've been a team that's kind of been marked by their fight and they, they fought back a little bit in that game, but I think, you know, they were pretty flat from having been on the road for as long as they were. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I do remember that. Um, yeah, that they were coming off that, like kind of, you know, their ridiculous road trip stretch. Um, obviously most teams have it, you know, one of those a year at least. And, uh, that's true. And also the, um, the point about the teams kind of looking different, both teams looking different at different times. You're right. This is kind of a hard um, matchup to gauge. And I think possibly I'm I'm guilty of just a recency bias and um, uh, bias and seeing how like Embiid dominated that last game. And I'm, you know, that's, that's sticking out in my mind. Um, obviously you touched on it. The additions to the Sixers now it's, you know, it, 
especially, I mean, on paper, the Sixers are a much better team than they were in the first matchup. Um, there's certainly been some, absolutely been some chemistry concerns, you know, with the team. Um, especially, like I said, the, the last week, uh, I think the Sixers have only gone, you know, they've lost four of the last six and, you know, against not so great teams. And obviously they've been resting in bead and, and I, you know, I mentioned they've been resting other starters and stuff like that, but um, they just haven't looked good. So you, you kind of don't really want to go into the playoffs, like really limping and, and literally limping if, if Embiid's hurt. So, and, and again, that's the big concern, but just the fact that, that they're not, their chemistry is maybe not where it, where we want it as Sixers fans. That that's, that's our, probably our only concern, obviously besides Embiid and, um, and the Nets on the other hand, you know, we talked about a week ago uh, setting this up and we were like, you guys were like, well, if the Nets get in and, you know, cause I was convinced this was going to be the matchup um, before that was a sure thing. And so they've been battling for a playoff spot for, for a while now. So they're, they're two teams kind of in two different mindsets, you know, and, um, and well, that'll be interesting to see how it plays. Like if, if Sixers could, could very well come out flat. I mean, they certainly shouldn't uh, there's, there's a ton of high expectations for them this year. And like, you know, you know, not to be, I mean, they just have, they just have a lot to lose, you know, and Brett Brown, especially, I mean, he, he uh, is going to take a lot of heat if, if the Nets are able to upset the Sixers here. So, so let's talk about him for a second. And Brett, I, maybe you had a, a question here too, but um, cause, cause I think, you know, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on him as I guess a coach in general, but specifically as just like an X's and O's and a, you know, making adjustments kind of guy throughout the course of a series. Because one thing that I do think that the Nets will do is throw a lot of junk at you, essentially. Like they play a ton of zone. They'll, they'll, you know, they have some kind of gimmick offensive plays that, that seem to work that like theoretically you should be able to kind of game plan around, I think through, through deeper series. Do you feel like that's a task that, that he's up to, or do you have concerns about, you know, him as a, as a tactician. I, I do have some concerns. I mean, I think Brett is, um, he's kind of a, he's a somewhat polarizing coach. You know, there are definitely people that think he's like a sort of a leftover relic from the uh, process era. And like, he has no business coaching, you know, a, a winning team, which is unfortunate for him to have to kind of overcome that hump. Um, but he, you know, there's things I like about him and then there are some, some head scratchers certainly. And my, really my question from, for, you know, that I, I haven't answered yet is how much of the sort of bizarre lineups that he throws out there and, and questionable decisions he make is due to the fact that his team has been, you know, essentially pieced together only in the last three or four months, you know, it's, it's a totally different roster than what they started with. So, you know, he, he seems to make these decisions and um, put these lineups out there that kind of make no sense. Um, and, and at first it really bothered me. In fact, it was against the Nets. He, he did it in the game I was, I was at. And I'm like, why, like, why is Embiid out? Like, what is going on here? And, and, and in hindsight, you know, he might've been kind of saving him and resting him and, and watching his minutes, which is clearly an issue. Um, but yeah, he just he just does some strange strange things in in game and uh, but my 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 thing is that it seems to be at least in part due to the fact that he um due to the fact that that this team is new and he doesn't know who's who's supposed to be in at this time and who's his crunch time you know his crunch time guys um so yeah he's he's been experimenting like all year and it's it's a little unnerving because it you know the last two weeks it would have been nice if they played their starters everyone looked fresh. The bench guys knew their roles, but it's been in complete disarray for the last week and a half. So there's just question marks. Like there's question marks that Philly fans argue about every day on Twitter, online, and in and on sports talk radio. Like no one seems to know. There's no consensus really if Brett Brown is, you know, up for the job or not. And in my personal opinion, I, I'm I'm not sold. I'm not sold that he is. I'm hopeful. And I just think my I'm resting my hat on the fact that the the Sixers have a ton of, or a, a ton of talent in their starting lineup. Um, they don't, they're not extremely deep, but they have a ton of talent in that starting lineup. They can put up a lot of points. And as long as they defend, you know, they're, they're a playoff contender. So I don't know if that completely answered your question, but um, that's my sort of, my, my thoughts on Brett Brown. He still has a lot to prove as does, you know, this whole team. 
I will say as an outside observer, I have noticed him looking just increasingly disheveled over the course of the season. Like, <laughs> he's, he's, he's working on growing out that wino beard right now. And it's, uh, I think it adds to the mystique a little bit. It's been like watching a president go through his first term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's uh, he actually had um, dark hair. You know, he had dark hair when this uh, the process started, and now it's now it's white. He, I mean, he's like steps away from Ron Burgundy drinking milk out of the. You know, milk is a bad choice. Um, he's he's getting well, there. Yeah. You know what? You make a good point. It's it is unnerving because he actually he did have one of those moments. He had a rare moment where he was kind of like snippy with the media about this whole Embiid thing. He was just like, "I'm done talking about it." Like, I, we'll release a statement. It was just bizarre. It's it's kind of got the whole, you know, the whole Philly sports media up up in, uh, you know, up in arms because they're just like, "Why?" You know, why? That's not Brett Brown. Usually he has a great answer and he's very charismatic and he's goofy and he's yeah. But uh, he's definitely right. He is he's a little disheveled. So that's not a good indicator. Um, Corkmaz was a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Corkmaz. Yeah, I mean, again, it's um, you know, to kind of go back to your first question, like it is a good series and it is a good matchup for Brooklyn uh, as far as the top tier teams. I think you're right, and and like, you know. Uh, prior, prior to my myself getting a you know getting like a big confidence boost um, from the last Nets Sixers game, um, you know we were kind of Philly consensus was we don't really want to see the Nets in the playoffs right we'd rather see Orlando I mean that would be we feel like we'd walk right over them, um, or you know whoever else is at the bottom even the Heat we already have their number you know so yeah uh, even the Pistons yeah no problem Joel Embiid's got um, Andre Drummond you yeah, real estate. Been, What's that? He's got real estate in Andre Drummond's head. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah, he's got a condo over there in Detroit. Um, so yeah, the Nets are the are definitely the team as far as like the the uh, you know the lower seeds in the in the playoffs that that have a legit argument and and, and you know give us a little bit of pause. Yeah, in and our, when, in our when it, oh, that and that's that's what we're hoping. I, I, you know, I think Nets fans want to set expectations for themselves and say, well, you know, if we, if we put up a good fight and make these games close and make them interesting and make sure that we're, we're on the news, that's a win for their franchise. But I think all of us are secretly hoping deep down that we can find a way to push this series to at least six games and make some noise. And I know if it ends up going seven, Carl and I will probably be letting you know that we're in town by <laughs> getting tickets to the game but if you look at the the body of work for both teams uh, across the entire season from a high level the 76ers seem to blow the nets out of the water i mean third in the eastern conference seventh in the league overall 51 and 31 most notably 31 and 10 at home which is very impressive 20 and 21 on the road and then if you compare that to the nets sixth in the eastern conference but by the hair on their chinny chin chins one less game and they would have been eighth uh 15th overall in the league 42 and 40 clinching a winning record for the first time in five years 23 and 18 at home 19 and 22 on the road so not uh, incredibly impressive numbers there especially when compared to the 76ers but one thing that i found interesting is they were right in line with each other when it comes to defensive rating 76ers were 14th in the league and the Nets were 15th and it was really offensive rating where the 76ers set themselves apart Nets were 19th and the 76ers were 8th and when we were talking earlier about the Nets guard play being the potential game changer in the series the Nets ended the regular season 5th in the league in 3 point attempts per game so I think if our guards get hot from 3 and we find a way to get our offensive performance anywhere close to the 76ers that's how we do keep this series close and unfortunately it is probably going to come down to an ncaa tournament march madness style are the nets hot for hotter than usual from three for a a short amount of time and can we push the series to the limit because of that right right yeah that's a that's a you know that's a great point i think clearly the sixer strength is their offense and again like they they've seemed like the sixers have seemed like they've been mailing it in for the last week and a half or, or so so perhaps um, their defensive uh, swagger will step up. I'm assuming, I mean, 
you know, there's, there's no secret that a lot of these NBA players, especially like a guy like Butler, you know, they're not playing their hardest defense perhaps in, uh, you know, a meaningless game where the seating's already established. But, you know, hopefully as a Sixers fan, he steps it up and is giving it 110% and uh, on, on defense in this series because we're going to need that. I think that, again, I touched on it already, but that was one of the things that, you know, swung uh, my confidence back in favor of the Sixers with this matchup in general. Uh, in the season and especially for the playoffs. And, so, uh, so let me, so, Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry. Do you finish? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So, so let me ask you a question and uh, all the optimistic Nets fans that are listening can, can throw the earmuffs on really quick because I think they're there. I'm not predicting, I'm not making any predictions here. I think mm-hmm. that there is a foreseeable moment in this series where if Philly does you know go up big i think my interest level as a nets fan goes from you know obviously you hope that they win you hope that they push this series but it becomes very intriguing to me to watch jimmy butler at that point for off-season purposes uh just you know given the the level of of discussion i mean obviously you know may may return to the sixers i would think that that's probably the front runner but you know just just a possibility um, I've heard a lot. I, I haven't watched him as closely this season. I've heard a lot of people questioning his kind of individual defense. Is there any, I mean, obviously you, as you mentioned, you've only seen him for, for part of a regular season now. Like what are your thoughts there? Do, do you have concerns about him as a defender? Does his, is, is his kind of reputation as a plus defender gone away in recent years? <clears throat> I think um, it's funny you bring that up because there was a point I'd say maybe a month and a half ago where I was looking at, I was watching a couple games in a row and I'm thinking like, Jimmy's not playing the defense that well. Like, you know, I'm just, I was specifically watching it. I'm like, he's getting beat here. He's kind of like out of position here. Um, But then again, then you watch a game a a week later and he's locking down, you know, locking down his, his, uh, his man and making a, you know, a clutch defensive play um, in, in a close game. So, I honestly think there is some concern, but, but the answer is really like, it's if he feels like it in this, in this week, you know, or in this, in this arena. Um, and, and I assume he'll, he'll be kind of wanting to win and, and, and bringing his, his a game. Uh, Cause I, I think that's the kind of guy he is, but if, if it's like a, he does seem to kind of lose a little bit of focus and, and um, you know, picks his spots, you know, he kind of, he kind of picks his spots like LeBron does on offense and defense, but, but um, yeah, Jimmy kind of picks when he wants to play a really tough D and, and he's still a lockdown guy if he wants to be. But I do, I did notice sometimes where he's kind of like disengaged a little bit and maybe part of that was adjusting to the, you know, the new teammates or the new team, you know, the new team in general. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my take on that. I, I could see a, a scenario. I don't, I don't expect to see any kind of, I, I expect to be impressed with him in this series and, and, you know, um, that he'll probably have a good series and, and especially defensively, um, albeit, you know, you guys do have good, good, uh, good wing players. Um, but I think he will, he will give it a good fight. If nothing problem, else for his own ego and his contract. That's exactly what I was thinking for his own contract. The problem is he's got those Tom Thibodeau miles on his knees. You look at him and you're like, how does this 2016 Mazda 3 already have 160,000 miles on it? And that's because he was playing 55 minutes a game for the Bulls and (laughs) and the Timberwolves. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And that maybe that is why he's, you know, seems to be like in my observations, sort of picking his spots defensively. Uh, which leads to some easy buckets occasionally, and you're going, isn't Jimmy Butler a lockdown defender? Well, how did that just happen? And and then other games or other stretches of, of even the same game, you see him like you know um, making a big play or making a stop. But you, yeah, that's a fair point. Absolutely, that the miles on there. I think that was a con- that is a concern. Matter of fact, I don't think there's a consensus for Sixers fans that they that Jimmy Butler that we want to sign him, especially for a max deal. So, there's a chance he walks. I, I honestly think it's fifty fifty that he comes back to Philly. It makes you feel any better. I think I think the, the the feeling is pretty tepid as well amongst Nets fans as a you know, obviously I think there's a yeah, beggars can't be choosers seems like a, a harsh way to categorize it, but like I think, you know, if you if you don't have an in with a with a free agent, you know, you can't be kicking anybody out of bed for getting crumbs in it. But at the same time, like 
you know, I, I think that there's that cautious uh, caution around Butler specifically for that reason. I feel like he's surviving at, on reputation alone on the defensive end at this point. And you, you're right. He has a lot to prove in the playoffs to show that he can still be that player when he is putting max effort in. It reminds me of Kobe making uh, first and second team all defense towards the end of his career when he clearly was doing the same thing and saving his energy for the offensive end. But you brought you brought up a good point that I, that I wanted to touch on as well about 76ers fans being 50-50 on tr- even attempting to bring Jimmy Butler back after the season. I, I, I think I've heard a few times that the 76ers are going to resign one of either Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler, but not both of them. And one of them is definitely leaving. And that seemed like a, a very hot takey, uh, hot topic thing to say about the 76ers. And I wanted to see if that was something that was true amongst the, the hardcore 76ers fans, if that was the prevailing thought. Yeah. I, again, I honestly, it seems to be sort of split. I mean, some people aren't even thinking about it. You know, we're obviously we're gearing up for the series and, you know, now we're all focused on whether Embiid's knee is, is, is an issue or if it's his foot or what's going on. That that's really been the topic of discussion here. Um, but th- it does seem to be sort of, uh, I think the fan base is split. You know, some people are like, you got to sign him. Other people are like, uh, let him walk Tobias Harris. We want. Um, so there's not really any, any consensus at this point, as far as even just like, you know, uh, like sort of what what the fans would would want to see happen, um, and there doesn't seem to be any indication at all from the team. Obviously, they're not going to say anything as far as you know. One of these guys is staying; one of them's not. Um, so you know, it's it's a it's going to be interesting. Um, I honestly, I have no idea. I think you know, like I said, I think half the time Jimmy looks like the guy you want. You know, I mean, he's you you saw it in the game against you guys where he hit the game winner. I think he also made a a big defensive play down the stretch of that one. If I'm, or that might have been the Charlotte game I'm thinking of now. But either way, he, you know, he's he's shown his his worth and his impact, and he can be the closer down the stretch and really take over a game, which is one thing the Sixers hadn't had uh, for the last couple of years. And uh, on the other hand, he can sort of seem like, you know he can become either a distraction or a locker room issue or just kind of look disengaged on the court. So he's really, yeah, he's, he's really a question mark. Um, and I don't know that I would honestly at this point now, of course I want to say nothing, only glowing reviews of Jimmy and I want him to have a great series um, starting Saturday, but at the same time, I don't know that I want that I'm a hundred percent sold on bringing him back, especially for a max deal. So if that, yeah. if that <laughs> go ahead, I'm sorry. No. No, dude, that that definitely that definitely helps. And what when when you were talking through that, it really made me think because the the prevailing thought process for Nets fans right now is is just play really hard, make these games close, and show folks that we deserve to be in the playoffs to hopefully bolster our chances of signing a legitimate max free agent this offseason or to bump the Nets name higher up on free agents lists so we can circumvent a couple years in the rebuilding process. And when you look at the 76ers, there are so many complex things that are going to be going on in terms of who's playing well, who's not, who fans are going to want to bring back, what lineups work, whether Brett Brown is going to be the coach of the future, uh, what they're going to end up doing this offseason. Like if they're, uh, if they make the Eastern conference finals and they're a game away from making the finals, I think that completely changes what they do this offseason season and how hard they go after bringing to uh, Tobias and Jimmy back versus if they don't. Uh, I also heard an, an interesting rumor or a thought process about why the 76ers decided to go all in this season and bring in Butler and Harris. And it was that they might be a little bit more concerned about Joel Embiid's longevity and health, even in the short term. And while he's playing at an all NBA top five, top 10 level, they want to make sure that they're taking advantage of that and not looking back and saying, man, we really wish that we had gone all in in those two or three years when we had one of the best players in the NBA. And then his knees went out and, uh, he started looking like Dirk Nowitzki taking 12 minutes to run down the court. <laughs> uh, yes, Dirk just retired. That's, that's a legend that, that we're going to miss. But, you know, I, I think that that is a fair point. Honestly, um, I really, really hope that's, you know, not the reason um, is that they're worried about Joel. Although, obviously, we're in the midst of this situation where, you know, clearly that could be the case. But I think, you know, and I, I want to say this because I was thinking about this a minute ago. I'm, I think, 
even of the of the uh, my co-hosts on Fourth and Twenty Six, um, and some of the other guys that contribute to to the podcast, like I think I'm the most optimistic uh, Sixers fan within my group, and and far more optimistic than many. Um, so there's definitely some concerns. There's definitely some worry. And I, but but I, but my reason for being this optimistic is they went out and got Jimmy Butler. They traded Sarge and Covington. They had a good young nucleus with the team they already had. Matter of fact, we won one more game last year than we did this year. Um, and so, and then they go and get all these, you know, a couple couple stars. They're star hunting, as Brett Brown said. And you know, and they both they they improved the bench. You know, albeit maybe not enough. So for me, it's like they're going for it. And for the reasons you mentioned, like whether or not Embiid, you know, let's assume he stays healthy and, that you know, that's not going to be a disaster here in Philly and really for the NBA because he's, he's one of the, like you said, top 10, top five, I think, um, you know, or give or take top five. But really, even if, he, even if he stays healthy, like you don't know if Simmons is going to stay. You don't know if, if Embiid is going to um, – well, I think Embiid's staying, but you know, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. And we've seen it over and over in the NBA where, you know, there's no, there's, there's no guarantee that the team's going to be good again, you know, or that they're going to be able to sustain this kind of run. So the time is really now the next two years. If you're lucky, you get another, you know, three, you get three or four good years, you know? So I think this is that they should have that approach anyway, as far as getting um, Tobias Harris and Butler um, and, and the other guys from the Clippers. Now, hopefully it's not because they know Embiid's knees are shot, you know, but um, I do think that that's the right approach, like try and win it now, which is why I'm hoping they get to at least the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, obviously I want more than that, but but I, I predict that that's what they'll do. Um, and, that, you know, we'll see. Yeah, so I think it's got to – I was going to say, I think it's got to be frustrating, especially for 76ers fans, because the goal was always gear up this team and get the personnel to be a great playoff team and just make sure you're healthy going into the playoffs. And then to come to the, the first round and have Embiid already be questionable for game one, that, that stinks. I feel for you guys, because it was always like, hey, what are we going to do in the playoffs? That's what's going to define this season. And I think you're spot on when you're saying like, yeah, and in your spot on, we were saying, like, listen, you don't know what's going to happen in the future, so why not try to go all in and see what we can do this season? I, you know, I hate to bring up baseball, but I know you guys are a, a catch-all sports pod, so I feel comfortable doing this. Uh, mentioning mm-hmm. on a Philadelphia podcast that I'm a Mets fan is probably not the best thing to do, but I remember in t- 2015 when the Mets made the World Series as the, the wildcard team against the Royals, everybody was saying, hey, listen, like that was a tough series. I know you guys were leading in four out of the five games going into the seventh inning or later, but you have an incredibly young pitching staff that's going to be great for the next decade. Don't worry about it. You guys are going to be back a couple of times. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, I flew back to New York for a couple of those games because you have no idea what's going to happen. And lo and behold, the Mets haven't even sniffed the second round of the playoffs since then, let alone the playoffs. And that's just what happens. You never know. Injuries happen. Players don't develop like you think they're going to. Free agent signings don't uh, turn out. And you, you got to go all in and take uh, take that shot when you have it. I, I, yeah, I, that's exactly exactly my yeah exactly my thoughts on it. And you know, so so I am glad they went for, or I'm glad the Sixers went for it in this in this season. But yeah, I mean, you're you're 100 right. You have no idea, like especially in the NBA, there's so much player movement. It's like kind of the new hip, to, you know, it's like a new hip topic. It's like there's players are getting traded and, and basically trading themselves. I mean, look at Anthony Davis, the whole thing, and it, you know, there's no there's no like there there isn't this like yeah this is gonna last forever because these guys are 20, 21, 22, 23. I mean. I don't know. You look at Shaq and Penny back in the day. Why didn't that develop? I know Hardaway had injuries, um, but that, that fell through. Uh, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, that didn't turn into anything. Um, you know, even Shaq and, and Kobe, they couldn't keep it together. They could have won, like, who knows how many titles. They decided, you know, it wasn't for them. Um, they both went and got titles elsewhere. But you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing – there's no – this isn't written in stone that these guys are all going to play together. Um and they're going to be able to keep this, keep this squad going. So yeah, to me, it's like, do it now and hope. And then that, you know, that pushes you into next year. Like, all right, let's keep it together. So, so just focusing on the upcoming series uh, a little bit, like give me, give me some of your kind of keys, keys to the series from, from a Sixers perspective. Like, like what do you think are areas that um, 
they either need to watch out for or, you know, what are potential mistakes they can make or, or what are things that, that you feel like they have a, a big edge? Well, I'll tell you where we have – well, first of all, I think the biggest – well, we already talked about Embiid, but Embiid and, and Allen, that matchup, that's that's like obviously a key one. I think one one guy we haven't mentioned yet is um, Joe Harris. I I, want, I don't want to see him shoot, you know, getting wide open looks and and going off because that that's clearly going to be. You mentioned the three point shooting. I mean, D'Angelo Russell's one thing, like, and I feel like with him, I mean, he's obviously a key as well. So let's get into that a little bit. But he he could have a you know he could have like a really um, streaky night. You know, he could have an off night um, and then still put up like fifteen in the fourth quarter. So like. There's that with him, um, but you don't want a guy like Joe Harris uh, putting up 20 plus points if you're the Sixers and just getting free looks at the basket uh, from from three point land. So I think there's one guy. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you have JJ Redick. Hopefully, he can get some shots off and be the exact uh, what BR Joe Harris. Uh, you know, and and then and then on another another thing is Redick defensively is a, is a potential issue. So I don't know how. Brett Brown, I, he's been trying all year to try and cover that up, um, you know. And I don't know how you do that. Do you bring in James Ennis for a short spell just to give, you know what I mean? Like it's a it's a matchup. JJ Redick is our is our obviously our weakest, uh, I think, matchup issue on on defense. Um, so you got to hope JJ Redick's hitting threes and Joe Harris isn't. I mean, that's a pretty simple take, but but uh, as far as you could go through the obvious ones, like yeah, Joel Embiid, you know, or uh, Jimmy Butler down the stretch, uh, D'Angelo Russell down the stretch. I think those are some of the kind of obvious ones. But, you know, you look at some of the little stuff, like hopefully the, the Sixers aren't playing T.J. McConnell for 15, 20 minutes because Ben Simmons is, uh, you know, shrinking from the spotlight, which I don't necessarily think he will, but, you know, it seemed like he did in the Boston series last year. So that's clearly a Sixers concern. Um, yeah, I, well, I think those definitely make sense. Well, Redick has always played well against us. And, and one thing that, that stuck out to me when I was looking at some of the more advanced metrics is you forget how many playmakers or at least how good of playmakers both Ben Simmons and, and Embiid are when you're watching the 76ers. For example, y'all are third in the league in assist percentage. And both of those guys do such a good job of looking for guys like Redick on the perimeter and getting them open and getting them hot to make sure that the minus that they are on defense is made up for by a couple wide open three-point shots in rhythm uh, against teams like the, the Nets that are having to double team a guy like Simmons or Embiid because they don't have the size to compete there. And then I think another big advantage, like you said, uh, with Embiid that the 76ers have is fourth in the league in rebound percentage. The Nets are 15th. Whether it's Embiid or somebody else, I think we're going to get eaten alive on the boards and we're going to have to make sure that we keep up enough in that category that it doesn't become incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I, yeah, the rebounding is a great point. That's, that's clearly like Embiid just – is too much of a monster down low and he yeah he, he does i mean he gets a ton of points he gets a ton of rebounds and it's kind of magnified against the nets because they do not have the size um so you're right i think the shooters uh and, and and you brought up that point with simmons uh facilitating and i think that there's a there's a big key because simmons might not um he might not have a big scoring night but if he's able to get his guys the ball in position which he's really good at um, he may, I mean, everyone knows he's a good passer, but I'm not sure that everyone realizes how good he is when he's really playing well at facilitating it and not just getting guys, not just getting assists, but getting certain guys, the ball exactly where they like it. Um, so if he's able to, if he's able to execute that part of his game, um, then we can, we can, that can make up for some of his lack of shooting and lack of scoring in general. So that's another factor. Yeah, I think I think one thing that that's interesting when I kind of look at keys too is um, we, we talked a little bit about this with the Nets a couple couple pods ago, but the Nets did kind of like a Jekyll Hyde routine in terms of you know for most of the first two thirds of the season they were a plus offensive team and they they struggled on the defensive end and that kind of flipped um, right around the time that Spencer Dinwiddie uh, went out with his thumb injury, although I don't think that that was the cause of it, uh, but. But one of the biggest causes of that was they started playing at a lot faster pace, and the Nets have the league's worst transition offense. 
They're like a 99 offensive rating um, in transition, which is abysmal. And Philly uh, is is pretty good, I think, uh, transition wise. They're, they're like a 107 offensive rating. So, and and I think especially with a guy like Simmons who can like get out, lead the break, um, you know, can be especially lethal in that regard. And I think you know the Nets would be. You know, I, I think the the one key for 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 Brooklyn, I mentioned a little bit in the game at the end of the road trip, is like taking care of the basketball to limit those transition opportunities. And I also think, even though it's going a little bit against the grain with the way that they've played all year, I think just you know as the underdog and as a team that struggles to score in transition, like it would probably behoove the Nets to to play at a little bit of a slower pace than than they have uh, for a lot of the, the end part of the season. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, I think it would be certainly in the net's interest to, to slow the pace down a little bit, because I, my opinion is if exactly what you said, if Simmons is able to get out in transition and and if the Sixers as a team are able to do that with him running the break, um, they're basically unstoppable. The best Sixers games or the best the Sixers have looked all season was when they were just running, just running and gunning. Um, And of course you're relying on your guys to make shots, but assuming that is going as per, as usual, uh, statistically, then yeah, if they're out running, like they're really, really tough. And you've seen the team like Boston have success against the Sixers over and over again because they don't allow them to do that. So yeah, very good point. And and it actually it brings another sort of maybe key to the game is is uh, or key to the series is Russell. Um, is he able to you know keep from making mistakes, uh, turnovers, and not just you know, and especially like in in the late game, you know, late in the game. Is he able to, to kind of like keep from making not rookie mistakes, but you know, uh, young young player mistakes in big situations? Uh, so yeah. those two things can tie together. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very fair question, um, and you know, I think he's improved enormously in that regard this season. And so, you know, I think there's a good, good reason to have confidence in him, but I think we have also seen him, you know, submit a few games down the stretch where for just whatever reason, the ball's just not hitting anybody on target. Um, And so, so that's a real concern. I think, I think another thing that kind of ties into that too is, um, you know, both from a perspective of being safe with the basketball, um, but then also just in terms of a guy that can, can kind of drive and get to the rim and maybe expose, you know, like some of the the holes in like JJ Raddick's defense, for instance, is uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. And, you know, he, he was a huge catalyst for the net success, particularly in kind of like this, like refer to it as like the second quarter and beginning of the third quarter of the season. Um, you know, like right before the all-star break, before he, he got hurt, um, you know, had that huge game against you guys uh, when he scored 29 points and, you know, he's somebody that's really struggled, they think, since they've returned from that road trip and, and since he's returned from injury. I think if he's able to get himself going, um, that he's a huge difference maker for the Nets. Yeah, uh, we've we've actually we've talked about Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, probably on multiple podcasts just because, yeah, he, he's got he, he he's had big games against us. We've, we've taken note, duly noted here in Philly that we got to watch. Spencer <laughs> um. And yeah, so absolutely. Now that's where that's where Jimmy Butler hopefully comes into play. You know, um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Jimmy feels like playing defense, um, and you know has the legs for it. Because Dinwiddie, yeah, yeah. Dinwiddie, he lit us up in in Wells Fargo. I, I was there. I watched it happen. Yeah, Carl and I were talking the other night on the on the season recap podcast about earlier in the season and how, how different the nets have been in different segments on Spencer Dinwiddie being the crunch time leader of the team and D'Angelo Russell sitting the last five minutes and not being part of what Kenny Atkinson and the rest of the coaching staff viewed as the nets best lineups or best chances to win down the stretch. And it, the questions about D'Angelo Russell's turnovers are fair because we're a team whose best player is 23 years old. And the guy that we rely on to put up our best offensive rating and lead us in the most important stretches is 23 and has a propensity to sometimes throw the ball behind his back and out of bounds and in key moments, despite of all the awesome stuff that he does and how much fun he is to watch. So that's going to be very, very interesting to see now that the Nets aren't coming off of a, a 300 and 
87 game road trip against uh, the top three teams in the West. If, <laughs> if D'Angelo Russell uh, uh, keeps that assist to turnover ratio down. Um, another thing that I wanted to bring up to just to watch for everybody uh, Nets fans will know this, but 76ers fans who aren't as close to the team, what the Nets are 24th in free throw percentage in the league. And that was really a point of frustration when the Nets offensive rating took a, a nosedive towards the end of the season. Every point mattered points were at a premium and we were bricking free throws left and right giving fans and opposing arenas free chick-fil-a ice cream whatever <laughs> spiff they were running for two missed free throws in a row so really hoping that we can uh we, we can figure that one out in the playoffs but just something to watch out for yeah yeah i mean you're right in the playoffs everything gets magnified the game slows down a little bit which which is an advantage for the nets theoretically in this series but also the spotlight gets bigger and it's you know, I mean, that could go either way, but, you're, you know, a young guy uh, who's the leader of the team, you don't know how they're going to respond in the biggest, uh, biggest moments of their career. And um, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm excited. I think I think obviously I'm hoping Embiid plays and that the series is, uh, you know, fairly one sided just because that's what the Sixers. That's what we expect uh, as Sixers fans. That's what we've been expecting all year. Um, but if he doesn't play, I think it's going to be a, uh, or if he doesn't play, you know, every game or hundred percent, it could wind up being a series, could wind up being a battle. And, um, that's, that's not what we want here in Philly, but you know, obviously you guys might feel differently. Um, seriously, you, know, so, <laughs> you might feel a little bit differently, um, <laughs> but you know, it'll be fun. I think, how do you guys feel? Should we do a, um, maybe we'll, we'll do a recap here and, uh, middle of the series or something see if we if we can still even talk to each other depending on how it's going i'm down for it i think i think we can put we can put differences aside and and uh and talk through it i think it would be great to get get your perspective do we want to uh do we do we dare round this out with some predictions uh, first sure. let me just say that i i'd love nothing more than to talk to a 76ers fan down 3-0 at our first playoff series in four years so absolutely let's do it <laughs> I won't be able to look at you or, or yeah. Well, you won't have to, we'll be on the phone, so it'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. Then I can bear it. I'll sit there with my hand in my, you know, my head in my hand the whole time. Oh, nice. Well, let's, let's, but let's do some predictions for, for the series. Um, do, do you, do you mind starting? If not, we can start. Okay, I'll, I'll take the Sixers. In let's go. Let's you, you go. Sure, you want to go out on that limb there? I'm yeah. gonna be bold. I'm gonna go. Uh, I mean, my you know, anybody listening to the Fourth and Twenty Six podcast will we'll never listen again if I were to pick the Nets here. Um, which, <laughs> which I, I wouldn't do. I honestly, like I said, I've I've been very confident coming into this. I think the Sixers are, um, but clearly there's been some there's rumblings that make us nervous here. Uh, but I think I think they win it in I'll say five games, um, may, maybe six. You know, if Embiid doesn't play, I'll say six. And uh, with some close games in there, it won't be like a it won't look like or be as big a blowout as maybe that sounds or as disrespectful as that sounds. I think we'll have close games. Maybe Butler hits another game winner. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think I think the Sixers in in six or five. I'm sorry. Would would love love sign me up for more Butler game winners. That sounds super fun. Uh, sounds like a great way for me to destroy my property. Um, I I will go. So I'm going to repeat. Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say Sixers in seven. I'm going to say the Nets push it to seven and snag hey. three. I think I think they snag one. You know, with them beat out. I think they snag one with maybe Embiid a little little slow coming back, and and then I think you get one uh, just D'Angelo Russell Inferno game, right? In Brooklyn, mm-hmm. yeah, in Brooklyn, just you know, just a, a total what the fuck? They shoot sixty five percent from three. Everybody's dancing on the bench. It's ridiculous. Seventeen points in the fourth or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. I say fo 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 for the Nets. Look at that! Throwing a Sixers <laughs> quote at us—that's brutal. Um, <laughs> you have no, no class. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and by the way, I like 
I'd like your new podcast name. I, that's what I voted for on the Twitter poll. Um, Russell and Fro, right? Yeah. 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 I like we're, it. That's we're figuring out if we're gonna if we're gonna switch the theme song to Hard Out Here for a Pimp. <laughs> nice. I love it. That's great, man. Well, I hey, I appreciate you guys uh, doing this with me. This has been fun. Um, Dude, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, we'll see how friendly we are, you know, in the middle of this if we do another one or even at the end, God forbid, you know. Um, but oh, I, God. I, yeah. But it'll be fun. It's going to get salty. It's going to, I will talk about signing your entire team away as free agents. I'm going to start talking about how we're going to sign Ben Simmons at the, at the end of this if um, things go south. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But, yeah. Butler, you can have maybe. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. That one, that one I think is, well, there's a comp, there's a truce to be had there. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be a compromise. We'll work something out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you guys. It's been fun. I, uh, do you, you want to like throw a plug in or anything at the end for where we can find your stuff? You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you know, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I, I recently wrote a couple articles on um, there are you can find on Unwrap Sports and also. Check out the stuff. Check out Overtime Heroics. Um, it's a website. There's a lot of forums there. A lot of discussion about sports. Fun stuff there. Um, and I think that's that's about it for now. Awesome. You? And you can uh, for for us. You know, still you can still find us on Twitter at nets underscore pulse for the time being. We will we will be changing that soon. But but for for now, that's where we are. Uh, you can find us in the uh, Nets Discord. You can find us at Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Breaker, wherever wherever you get get your podcasts and uh we've been thinking about doing some some overtime heroic stuff as well so uh yeah that, that'll be in the works awesome it was good just just to add fuel to the fire here there is some great twitter banter going on joe <laughs> jj reddick versus joe harris three-point shooting right now i can't wait for this series it's gonna be fun oh man that's hey we touched on it we're, we're ahead of the curve there boys joe harris JJ yeah Reddick. absolutely that's the that's the real matchup here. Not MB, not you know, D'Angelo Russell, Harris and Reddick. Harris, Reddick, Kyle Corver, and a copy machine. <laughs> Let's just make the whole series just Reddick and Harris out there just shooting threes for like an hour and a half. That's it. I don't think I don't think you want to do that. I think Joe would I think Joe would win that. <laughs> or they have a, a podcast off. Yeah, we could we could take we could take JJ out for a, a really heavy fancy dinner. They said you murked me by the time I was 21. That shit disturbed me, but you never hurt me. Hello, Brooklyn. If we had a daughter, guess what I'ma call her? Brooklyn Carter. When I left you for Virginia, it didn't offend you. Cause you know I only stepped out to get dinner. Hello, Brooklyn. How you doing? Where you going when I come to you?